to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our College Contender Series, previewing our top 11 men's teams heading into this 2021 ITA D1 season. Of course, thus far, we've had phenomenal conversations with the head coaches of Stanford, Florida, Michigan, and the University of Georgia. Of course, Matt Koyak, Chris Halioris, and I have also broken down those four teams, given our thoughts on where they stand heading into to 2021. You can find those conversations on the Great Shot podcast feed. But today, we continue with the number seven team in our preseason top 11, the Texas A&M Aggies. And of course, the Aggies bring back such a veteran team when you bring back a top three of Habib Vashro and Aguilar, the experience they have at the bottom of the lineup. There's a lot to be excited about if you are a college tennis fan in College Station. And of course, on today's show, we speak with the man behind that program. Program, arguably the most successful, most well-credentialed coach in all of college tennis, men's or women's. It's not every day, in fact, that you get to speak with someone who is a top 15 player in the ATP in singles, a top two player in the ATP in doubles, a Grand Slam champion, and a college tennis head coach. That's exactly, though, what we get to do today as we speak with former All-American for the University of Texas, now head coach of the Texas A&M Ag. Steve Denton. And to be honest, I've been chasing Coach Denton for a while as when you have the chance to speak with someone with that sort of background, you want to make the most of it. And to be honest, we could have made this a two-hour podcast. Uh, Obviously, we didn't want to do that to Coach Denton. I'm going to reserve the right to bring him back on the show. But Chris Halliores, who joins me today, and I asked Coach Denton about what it's like to go, obviously, from the highest ranks of the pro uh, rank uh, circuit to the college tennis ranks. What about the college tennis world kept calling to him to come back to be a head coach. And then, of course, the progress his Texas A&M Aggies have made this past decade. I mean, you talk about some of the players that have come through that team, Austin Krejcik, of course, Patrick Kipson, Arthur Rinderneck of late, all players who have gone on to, or are currently having success in the professional ranks. And of course, right now, the trio of Vashro, Aguilar, B, and Habib, as talented and as experienced as any top three in the country. And then, of course, you bring back Noah Schachter, you bring back Barnaby Smith, all of the players they have on the roster has a chance to be a really special a, a season for the Aggies. And so, of course, we had to ask Coach Denton about his expectations, how he thinks his Aggies stack up to the rest of his SEC conference. Of course, what it's like to be a head coach in the midst of a global pandemic, all of our usual questions and so much more. Really excited for you fans to hear this conversation. Of course, quickly, the reason we are able to have these conversations day in, day out, not only because of the incredible support we get from you listeners, from our CR Patreon family, but of course from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. It's a lifestyle here at Cracked Rackets. We want to look good. We want to feel good so that when we go out on court, whenever we're recording a podcast, whatever it may be, we play good as well. That's where our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar come in. You go to MidwestSports.com, use our promo code CR15. You're going to be decked out in the finest gear available.
available on the tennis market, and it's also going to be at the best prices as well. Of course, you turn to our friends at Aerobar, you'll have a look, access to the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. So go to aerobar.com, use the promo CRACK15 to get in on the action there. And again, look good, feel good, play good, Midwest Sports Aerobar Cracked Rackets. All right, with that in mind, and without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Texas A&M men's tennis head coach, Steve Denton. Joining us on the podcast today, a man who, if I may say, may be the best credentialed coach in all of college tennis, a first-time guest here on our Cracked Racket shows. You may know him as a former number 12 singles player in the world, former number two doubles player, and 1982 U.S. Open doubles champion. Of course, now he is the head coach of the Texas A&M men's tennis team. Steve Denton, welcome to the show. It's been far too long, and the fact that we haven't has you had you is a sin on our house, but it is great to finally get you. How are you doing today? Uh, doing great. How about you guys? Oh, staying safe and healthy, which is all we can ask for at this point. How about you, your family, your team, everyone staying safe? Everybody's doing great. Uh, we're finishing up the season of the fall and obviously really looking forward to the spring and, and you know, keeping our fingers crossed that we get to get to play. Yeah, absolutely. I know I speak for all of us college tennis fans when I say we are looking forward to seeing your team back on court. And let's just start today's conversation there. You have seen so many different things. And Chris is yelling me at, at me all the time. I call him old. He said the better term is veteran. So that's what I'm going to go with. You are a veteran of the tennis world at this point, Coach Denton, and you've seen a lot of things. But obviously, none of us have seen something like a global pandemic. And I'm curious for you whether it's communicating with your team, keeping everyone on the same program. What have those challenges been like for you these past eight months? Well, as you said, I mean, we we uh, ended up last year, um, you know, we were catching our stride, which is typical for us. You know, we're kind of an outdoor team, uh, don't necessarily have our, our greatest successes in the uh, indoor season. And we had, you know, finished playing. We'd beaten Florida and South Carolina and then kind of felt like we were really gaining momentum. And, you know, we'll see what would have happened. And obviously the disappointment of having to be at Mississippi State and then being called home, not knowing that the rest of the season would be canceled. And so it was really about, you know, keeping the guys encouraged and motivated, uh, staying positive with them, communicating with them, um, letting them know that, you know, these are adversities that we have to deal with in life and they're opportunities, opportunities to grow and, uh, you know, really kind of maintain your perspective of what's most important to you. Uh, and suddenly those things get taken away. I think there's a newfound uh, excitement and interest in their tennis uh, because they realize that it could be taken away. And sometimes uh, that's the jolt that people need to really appreciate what they're doing and even go at it even with a, with a greater amount of intensity and effort when they get the opportunity. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, again, you look at the rosters this season, we learned a lifetime ago that a bunch of these seniors, all of these players are going to be afforded an extra year of eligibility. And obviously for you guys, that means you get everyone back from a team that was 12 and three. And we'll talk more about that 2020 season in a little bit. But just to have everyone back, when you look across the landscape in college tennis, you see how loaded it is. Uh, and then, you know, you balance that with the fact that, you know, as much, you know, there's probably as much talent in college tennis as there has have ever been, even dating back to when, you know, your generation of players are playing at Texas or, you know, McEnroe's going to Stanford, all of these different things. We see so many college players, Arthur Rinderneck among them, uh, going on to have pro success. And I'm just, you know, curious when you see the state of college tennis programs like Iowa and Minnesota, unfortunately, announcing that they're going to have to discontinue their programs moving forward, uh, what what are your thoughts on the current state of the game? And, you know, how much does that make you appreciate the backing you all have in College Station? Well, there uh, you, you put a lot into that. And that, that uh, you know, that's a conversation almost all in itself. Um, but it's it's uh, alarming, obviously, to have some of the, the major programs uh, that are funded, uh, you know, pretty much with all their scholarships to be having their programs uh, end up not being able to go forward from here, uh, obviously, that's a very alarming thing for us, you know, and the ITA. Uh, but also, too, I think uh, right now we have uh, at least at, in uh, in the men's game. I can't speak as much for the women, but I'm sure it's the case. We have a bunch of all-star teams this year, as you kind of alluded to. Uh, we have a lot of teams that are very deep and talented, and I could tell you that probably we could go 10 deep with a lot of teams and have very quality matches um, and doing that, you know, going forward this year. So that's the excitement part, um, you know, but the reality is, is uh, this, this tennis is driven by, you know, finances and uh, we're so dependent on football and football's success. And uh, as you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, certainly in the SEC, uh, Texas A&M has had to suspend uh, play for a couple of weeks because of a couple of positive tests and the uh, subsequent contact tracing that's knocked them out of two games. And if those games are not you know, able to be played, then obviously uh, things are much more serious with regard to uh, tennis and any of the other Olympic sports going forward in the spring. And so I'm hopeful uh, that a and M gets to play their last couple of home games, and you know it looks like that's a possibility if we, uh, if everybody kind of stays healthy. But we're certainly on uncharted territory right now in terms of you know where we're going to be and what we're going to be able to do going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I know it speaks for uh, everyone in the game. It helps when we have people like you coming back and giving so much to the sport. Obviously, it helps promote the game. And so I agree with you. It's obviously perilous times for college tennis. Hopefully, we get the 2021 season we all deserve. Quick tangent, I suppose. But as someone who went to the University of Texas, now is the coach at Texas A&M, I'm sure your Longhorn rooting uh, roots uh, dig deep. But, you know, A&M's playing Texas, and thankfully it doesn't happen too often anymore. Who does Coach Steve Denton root for? (laughs) That's a great question. Well, (laughs) uh, I can tell you that as I first began – 
it was difficult because, you know, as you said, uh, my family is split down the middle. About half of my family are Aggies and the other half are Longhorns, which is, you know, typical for Texas families to to have those kinds of uh, divisions. And, uh, you know, obviously for many years, for probably the first 50 years of my life, I I was definitely a Longhorn fan. I went there to play, play tennis, uh, got to meet Kevin Curran there and had a great coach and Hall of Famer Dave Snyder. And so have great and fond memories. A lot of my best friends are the friends that I had, you know, when I played for the orange, uh, burn orange and white. But also I know that things change. And I've said, well, I guess it took me 50 years to figure out that, you know, there was another uh, phase of my life. And I guess God has a sense of humor. <laughs> told me 25 years ago that I was going to be the head coach at Texas A&M, I would have told you probably some of those words that I learned in the locker room. Uh, but, but, uh, but I can't say enough for Texas A&M and how, how welcoming they've been to me and how, how they've treated me and my family over the course of these last 14 years. It's just been a great privilege to be here uh, and to lead this program. And, uh, you know, I have reconciled this uh, in that, you know, I grew up in Texas. I'm likely to die in Texas and I'm still involved, you know, uh, with Texas tennis, I uh, just happen to be involved with Texas A&M tennis, and I'm certainly proud to, to to be here and to do the and have the people around me that give me the opportunity uh, to have one of the greatest jobs in the country. And in answering your question about the football game, I'm not trying to dodge that question. <laughs> I think early on, um, I kind of reconciled it in my mind that whichever team really needed it the most, in other words, to win a championship or whatever, that's who I, who I kind of uh, rooted for silently. But as time has gone on and the more I've learned of, of Texas A&M, the traditions and the opportunities that they've given me and my family, I have certainly uh, changed my allegiance. And, you know, if Texas were to play A&M now, I would definitely root for A&M no matter what the situation were to, were to be. Well, I appreciate you not ducking the tough questions, Coach. I'm sure when it's Vince Young, USC National Championship, go Horns. But when it's Johnny Football time, you're rocking the Aggies. Well, I was actually in the stadium when uh, Vince Young ran up into the end zone against SC, and that was my last opportunity. I actually got into the, ironically, was put into the Longhorn Hall of Honor with uh, Mac Brown that next year. And, you know, pretty much after that, uh, the uh, changing of the guard occurred because I, at that time, Bill Byrne was the athletic director at A&M, and I asked him, what would you like for me to do? And he said, you go over there and you put that medallion around your neck and you do whatever you need to do. And then you come back over here and, and be our guy. And that's and that's exactly what I've done. That is so awesome. So, coaches, as we start looking towards this this coming year uh, and we, we see a very similar storyline with a couple schools, you know, particularly schools like, say, uh, you and, and Florida, where you've just got both teams, solid top threes coming back. We all, everybody knows what, you know, what you're going to get out of Aguilar, out of Hattie, out of Vachero. And then, and then you start going, all right, who's next? I think in, in your case, there's a little more, uh, 
it's a little more solidified, if you will. Uh, I think you've got some more veterans in, in Barney and in Noah Schachter coming back. Uh, and then after, you know, beyond that, maybe it's Marcone, maybe it's Rollins, maybe it's Storch. I don't know. But, uh, you know, what? how how do things look for you? And, and, and have you had all of your guys? Uh, one of the questions we've asked a lot of the coaches is who's been on campus and who's not been able to be there? Have you had all of your guys there in the fall or have some of them still been away and not coming back here until the spring? Well, we've had all of our guys here. In fact, we started uh, uh, some tournament play in October. We got to go to a tournament at LSU. We we had about three or four different draws, and I think we had the you know finalists and maybe all three draws, maybe won all three of them. And then we played a tournament at TCU. I took four guys there. I took the guys that you kind of alluded to. I think Barney and and uh, Stefan Storch and Noah uh, and Rob. And I think that um, in that particular event, uh, uh, Micah from Texas and Noah tied for the kind of point lead in that event. And uh, then we went to South Carolina. And I, I have to say, and, and I'm in, I know I'm, I have agreement with a lot of the men's coaches that have gone through it, these uh, format uh, dual matches that we're doing in the fall are great to see. I think it creates a lot of excitement and interest in your players because there's nothing like lining up and playing against other teams uh, and kind of seeing where you sit. And I think there's more pressure on the guys. It gives the coaches a better feel for where their players are. And we got to do that at South Carolina and line up against Georgia and South Carolina. And then unfortunately our match against Florida uh, got rained out uh, about halfway through the match. So we didn't come up with a result there but but those matches were exciting and uh, a lot of fun and I think at least for us and maybe a lot of other schools maybe we'll change the the landscape of the fall season and maybe we will go to more of those types of events because of how much we get out of them and and how how excited and engaged the guys are to play that they they play regular tournaments all throughout the year uh, certainly in the summertime and that is just really a, a welcome change and and that was a great event that we went to uh, that Josh Goffey put on at South Carolina. Yeah, Alex, yeah. Co- Coach Denton mentioned that first one at LSU where he, he kind of gave me some false hope with my Mississippi State Bulldogs in, in, in the first day and let us win a couple matches. And then, as you mentioned, Coach, you know, you had a couple guys get to the finals, as did Mississippi State. And instead of playing each other like they were in the draws, you kind of swapped around. So you played each other. Uh, you, you, know, you played opposite schools and not your own guys playing each other. And you really beat them up uh, <laughs> that day. That was uh, well, uh, you know, in fairness, you know, Matt has obviously his best player not there. Uh, and I was really actually impressed with a lot of his young players. You know, Matt does such a good job and getting those guys ready to play. They're exceptional in the doubles, which puts a lot of pressure on when you lose the doubles point against them. And then you have to win four singles matches and, uh, you know, they're on the right track again to have a really good, uh, team. Certainly in the future, uh, they do have some inexperience there, but they have their best player coming back. And uh, as I expect, they will be, tough to play and tough to beat, especially there at Mississippi State. Uh, on another note for them, I was really excited to see that their their indoor facility is complete. And, uh, you know, hats off to Matt and getting that done to make sure that, uh, you know, Mississippi State has one of the best facilities in the country. 
Well, that's a, a, so a great segue to you uh, for, for where you're at. Now, obviously, when you guys end up, you know, getting forced indoors, if you will, a lot of times we see you having to, you know, drive over to Waco or, or go somewhere else to play. Is there is it basically, you know, is it always going to be like that or, or is, is that something you desire and you'd like to have an indoor facility there? Well, I'll put it to you this way. Um, if. Uh, if if my uh, livelihood was dependent on our our uh, indoor record over the course of the last 14 years, I, I would not be at Texas A&M still, uh, because our record has been, uh, how shall I say, not not good. Um, and, and a lot of that I attribute to, you know, just not having the opportunity. It is different, and guys play differently uh, in those conditions. I know for me personally, when I played, it was a different game, but I I did well in those conditions because of my serve. But um, but a lot of the guys today prefer slower courts. Our courts are slow. Uh, we're outdoors. It's a bit windy sometimes. Um, so you're dealing with elements. And uh, our guys are real physical. So the matches are real physical uh, when we play. And it's just different kind of tennis. Um, and so... But one of the things that I think will happen is just the pressure put on, obviously, by all the other schools, the desire for A&M to continue to compete. Uh, I'm certain that it's going to happen. I, I joke, uh, when Austin Krychek first came here, I told him we were going to have indoor courts in a couple of years. <laughs> and his father <laughs> 14 years ago, uh, and I really thought that that would happen, but a lot of things have happened uh, here. You know, we leave the SEC, and the Big 12 keeps all of our money. Um, Jimbo Fisher comes to town, and we build a new facility and spend half a billion dollars on our football facility. Um, a lot of different things, and we're in line. We're waiting, you know, our turn, and then, of course, we were getting really close. I felt uh, probably uh, one of the last facilities to be upgraded and a new indoor facility coming and then we had the pandemic so um you know i think once everything returns to normal uh and the donors kind of can come back and help i think that uh texas a&m will have indoor facilities will will it be in my tenure or not uh, you know i'm not sure i i joke often you know as the one of the elder statesmen in college tennis now i guess uh, i don't even when i go to the store i don't even got, buy green bananas because i'm not sure you know, them. so uh, uh I, i'm hopeful my plan is to be here for a long time i i just signed a new class and of course they all ask am i going to be here and i i'm planning on doing that but uh you know as as uh, as we know you know life uh, has its changes and turns as we've learned unfortunately these last nine months yeah, so I don't want to. I'm not. I'm definitely not going to be the guy to rub it in, Coach. So th those green bananas might be like Aguilar five-one in the third against Michigan indoors, and now I'm just going to have to hand it back to Gruskin. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I get it. I, I get it. And I was on that court as well. Uh, so I have a lot to. Uh, uh, it, a lot of that fault is on me. Uh, he was. Uh, he was a set and four love. And on mm -hmm. a three-all point, and, uh, you know, the match, and I saw it, the match changed right then. Uh, 
You saw his opponent, you know, pick up his game. And the level was really high there. I think he lost maybe three or three three all points in that second set. And then when I knew it got into a third, then obviously the whole match was on the line. Uh, but unfortunate for us, but, you know, give credit uh, where credit's due. The guy just played lights out there for the last set and a half. And we had known he was a really good player. Uh, We knew how to play him. Um, So that was not a, and it was just a question of a point or two here or there. And, and the level was really high the last two sets. And unfortunately, you know, we didn't get through that, but uh, you know, that those kinds of matches uh, indoors, I think kind of turn even more, uh, profoundly and quickly, just like in a grass court match, you make a mistake or whatever, and the match completely changes. I was watching a doubles match yesterday. Uh, Michael Venus and his partner, because Michael uh, uh, is a good friend of mine and has worked with Pat Harrison, his really close friend and family to mine, and watched that doubles match. And they had four or five match points uh, in the doubles, and and that changed the round on almost one shot. And uh, you know that can happen real quickly in an indoor match. Yeah. No. The reason Chris brings that up, Coach, is because I am a University of Michigan former University of Michigan. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's just trying to rub it. I got that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. Well, you know, then I'll rub it in. Uh, way to go, Andre Styler. Uh, you know, he was just on a run. I, it was just one of those times. I think he did it like three matches in a row. But uh, to the yeah, to the larger larger point there, uh, you know, in 2018, that was the first NCAA I ever had the chance to cover in person, and that was a year where your team made the semifinals of both the national indoors, but then, of course, the NCAA semifinals, and you look back at that team and starting to think about that roster, I mean, Kipson, Rinderneck, Arcanada, just so much talent there, and really, these past three years have been such a great run for your a and really past seven years, I guess, dating back to Adams and Vincent as well and and James uh, or Jeremy Jeremy Efferding I think it is I might have butchered the pronunciation uh, but you know it's been a really good run for your program and I'm just curious again you get everyone back from a team that had just beaten Florida in a dramatic 4-3 victory and a team that had you know after missing the national indoors in 2019 bounced back to qualify in 2020 so looking forward to this season that you have the returning cast of characters you do uh what are the expectations for this texas a&m team well i I mean i think they're high uh you know we've we've had a good fall um even the guys that have played individual tournaments have done well in those tournaments uh but it remains to be seen i think uh you know this season is going to be interesting in that you know how many teams are going to be disrupted how many teams are going to uh get to practice the, the way they need to practice and and get the momentum going again we had tremendous momentum uh in my estimation when we stopped last year and can we regain that momentum with this team you know with uh, the same team returning and a little bit of help with some other other players to fill in and obviously guys playing at a, at a higher level and are the players all the way back to the level they were considering they haven't gotten to play and their, their tennis has been disrupted. So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, which teams are able to uh, kind of overcome this, uh, I guess, hibernation that we've been in lack of a better way of saying it. Uh, and I know we've, 
we've had an advantage to be able to practice, uh, be outside, work really hard on our game. But there's nothing like competition. And, you know, how's that going to look in January and February? And, uh, you know, now it looks like apparently uh, we're not going to be a host uh, in the kickoff weekend if that occurs. So we're going to have to go somewhere else uh, if if we do have a kickoff week and the indoor season, which, you know, I think is still in question. So all these things, uh, I had a great schedule uh, playing all kinds of great teams. We were playing Ohio State and Texas and Baylor a couple of times and Oklahoma State, who I think is going to be a really good team this year, along with all of our conference teams. And, and now, you know, those those uh, schedules are are uncertain at this point. What's going to happen? Are we going to have to go to a conference only schedule? Are we going to be able to play in the kickoff and the indoor and all those types of things? So I think with all these really good teams, it's just really hard to predict. Uh, but the teams that are disrupted the least uh, get the opportunities to compete and practice on a on a regular basis are obviously the teams that will have the edge as we move toward the SEC tournament and, and the NCAA. Yeah, so if we work on the assumption, which is all we can do at this point, right, coaches, that we're going to have a, a kickoff weekend and and the you know hopefully the subsequent indoors, but with the kickoff weekend coming up next, and obviously the fall season is is you know has now come to an come to an end. So really, the next thing up for you is the kickoff draft, right? And that's you know not even the players that that's you guys, the coaches, get here in early December to participate, assuming it uh, it it still goes on with that kickoff draft and. As you mentioned, uh, you know, you don't get the host if nobody from the uh, the 10 spots above you were to pull out uh, up for whatever reason. You end up getting uh, that fourth pick with the two teams right in front of you also being SEC teams in Florida and Georgia. So what's the mindset when you look at that? Are do you do you try to avoid playing other SEC teams again, or are you just looking at, hey, what's the spot that's going to suit us the best, the best chance to win, the court conditions we like, et cetera, and it doesn't matter if Florida or Georgia are already there. Uh, we're, we're taking that, you know, it's a, that's really irrelevant. Right. I think what you said is probably right. I think there's some factors involved, obviously. You know, depending on the football, are we going to be allowed to travel? you know, very far away because expense, obviously, you know, uh, for us, we didn't budget, you know, having a, a first two rounds somewhere else. So that that's a possible consideration. Uh, that'll be determined, I guess, uh, in talking with our administration on that. And then, and then do we want to go to the place that gives us the best chance to get to Illinois? Um, and that's, you know, always been my, um, I guess my case, we haven't had to worry about that in quite a few years because we've always hosted. Uh, but, you know, this will be the first time that potentially we would be on the road. But who knows? I mean, there's no way of knowing whether, you know, for example, the California schools, are uh, they're not even in session right now. Are they even going to be in the kickoff weekend? Or are other schools or administrations are going to say, look, we don't want to do this at this point. Uh, this is this juncture. So there's just no way of knowing all those things. And I guess we'll just have to you know, wait and see what's available to us. And uh, if we are going to get to play, then we try to pick the best place for us to be able to play in the indoor. And if that means that, you know, we think we our best chance is to play uh, in a 
in a pod with uh, Georgia and Florida and, and, and a host team, you know, we'll do it. Uh, so um, I think we'll have to just kind of wait and see and see how all these things play out because we certainly don't we don't know at this point. Yeah. And I assume that you, you know, based on your earlier comments, all all things being equal, uh, you know, other than that, you would probably prefer, if at all possible, an outdoor site, right? Well, not necessarily. I mean, this team, um, you know, having said what I said earlier, this team actually is uh, geared to play pretty good indoor tennis. Um, uh, we, you know. You could argue that we were one point away from maybe beating Michigan last year without any indoor, you know, play much. So uh, we're certainly capable of playing well indoors. And so I wouldn't uh, discount us going to an indoor site because ultimately, you know, I kind of look at it as, well, if you can't handle indoors in the first two rounds, it would make you think you're going to be able to handle it. (laughs) get to the last to the final site so you need some indoor play and i had set up a schedule where we would have some indoor matches in fact we were scheduled to play uh usc in chicago uh two or three days prior to the event and uh actually brett and i uh, talked about that yesterday and you know what that looks like and we still don't know uh we're hopeful that we're going to get to play that match and uh, give us both opportunities to kind of get some indoor competition before the tournament so I'm assuming, you know, right now that we're going to make the event and I'm going to do everything I can to prepare the team uh, to have. Uh, obviously, we're not going to likely be able to post here unless something strange happens. So we've always been our first two matches have been outdoors and then we've had to go indoors, you know, between the kickoff weekend and the indoor to get some indoor experience uh, and give our guys a little bit of match play. And then we'll see. But in this particular case this year, we may have that opportunity to play indoors, you know, right away. And if we get through it, great. If we don't, well, then we kind of get ready and start our outdoor season preparing for the SEC. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I'm going to get in trouble with Coach Steinberg, but I'm just going to plant a seed anyways. I think college tennis fans everywhere would enjoy an opening weekend, kickoff weekend, Texas A&M, Michigan rematch. I feel like that's a win-win for all parties involved. Maybe not the coaches, maybe the stress involved. They might be the losers of that scenario, but just planting a seed, Coach. Would you be at that match if uh, we were to pick them? I will absolutely be at that match, Coach. I I I can't remember the last time I missed a Michigan indoor home match, uh, or, or really an outdoor. I really enjoy competing against Adam, uh, and obviously, uh, I've known Benny Becker for a long time, uh, and uh, I really enjoyed that. You know, enjoyed those matches, uh, the match we played, and I love my time in Michigan every summer when I go to Kalamazoo. I don't know what Ann Arbor looks like, uh, you know, uh, in late January. I, I kind of cringed upon that. I, I've always <laughs> I've often wondered how in the world, because we played at Illinois in the dead of winter, how these kids get up and go to school in that kind of weather. Uh, and I obviously know they do because they're really smart and they do really well. But I've, I've often wondered as a Southern boy, just, you know, how often I would have gotten out of bed in those kind of cold conditions to go to my classes um and uh but i i I think it would be a an awesome an awesome opportunity for both teams obviously if we were to be able to pick 
uh, pick a school like Michigan, and and it's certainly not off the table by any means because he's got a great team. I think we have a great team, and it would be a it would be a hell of a rematch uh, from last year's uh, indoor. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of talk about Texas tough, and I guess it's a different toughness when you're braving down 130 degrees in the summer. Like, that's no fun for anyone. But look, we uh, it's a lunch pail mentality. We go to work every day, blue collar. Uh, that's just what we do at the University of Michigan. And that's also why we're really good indoors, because you can't play outdoors for six months of the year. So it's obviously something, uh, and I say we, I didn't play at Michigan, but I'm going to say we anyways. It's, it's inevitable at this point. Um, but yeah, so the seed is officially planted, and obviously you look at this 2021 team. Point well, yeah. point, point well taken. I, I, I hear you loud and clear. <laughs> I'm just talking. I'm marking it down right now, Gruskin. It's, it's, no. it's, in, the, it's, it's in the mock draft already. So no, we're doing a mock draft, Coach, and I've got it penciled in. I've talked trash to Shelton. I've talked trash to Diaz. I've talked trash now to Coach Denton. The SEC, Michigan, is just going to be the bulletin board material. They're going to be like, what did we do to piss all of these teams off? And I'm going to be like, sorry, guys. Like, it wasn't you. It was me. Uh, but, of course, uh, you know, again, looking at this 2021 season for your roster, and, again, it's you get back Shaqter Smith, uh, Vashro, Aguilar, and Habib. Um, but you look at that top three in particular, the success they've all had uh, throughout the first I think three seasons they've now all played ish at their time during their time at Texas A&M. What does it mean to you, Coach Den? Because obviously, you know, Kipson, Rinderneck, Arcanada, that's a hell of a top three. And that got you guys to national semifinals. What does it mean to you to know going into every match that you have those three at the top of your lineup, three guys who could all be playing number one singles for any given school? Well, I think it's uh, more than anything else. I think it's comforting to the back of our lineup. You know, the guys that are playing four, five, and six, they know that, you know, the top of our lineup is capable of, of winning every match. Um, and uh, But you also know, you know, when you play these top two or three guys, that also those guys are, are capable of losing because the other team has three or four really good players as well. And so uh, I think it does give confidence to uh, those guys uh, that play four, five, and six. And and uh, obviously, I sleep better at night knowing that I have veteran leadership at the top of the lineup that knows what it takes, you know, to be successful and on national level, as well as obviously in our SEC, uh, which will be a really tough uh, conference this year as well. So uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, I know they're excited about it. Uh, you know, Val had the opportunity to turn pro. He, he, we haven't really talked about him, but after losing to Ito in the semis of uh, the tournament out in California in the fall, you know, he didn't lose another match. Uh, he'd won maybe 14 or so matches in a row and ended up beating, you know, some really good players uh, on the last weekend and Jub and uh, Oliver Crawford. Uh, both now turn pro and so he had the opportunity to go ahead and turn pro but but you know to his credit he loves this team uh like arthur did they're they're incident i don't know if you any the list cousins right but they're first cousins their mothers or sisters so i didn't know that when i went over to recruit arthur didn't know that i was going to end up getting someone in in my opinion that may end up you know, having a, a better career uh, in the long run, we'll see. I mean, time will tell. Uh, sometimes the younger gets the advantage. Uh, but, 
um, he had that opportunity to, to turn pro uh, and, you know, go on and go out there and start playing and certainly could have, there were a lot of reasons to do that springboard from what he had accomplished last year, but because he loves this team and he loves this university, he wanted to come back and he felt like there was unfinished business. And uh, so he wanted to come back. And then obviously those other guys, Hottie and Carlos are, are, uh, I think probably in the fall, Hottie's played better than anyone on our team. Uh, He's won more matches. Uh, He um, has, has been very successful. He has such a professional attitude uh, when he practices and plays. And then Carlos is, you know, super talented and and can beat anybody uh, on any given day. So, you know, we've got guys at the top of that lineup with a tremendous amount of leadership and a lot of buy-in and a chip on their shoulder that they got stopped, you know, last year. And they want to they want to do something about that. Uh, and getting that opportunity to come back has really motivated them Mm -hmm. no absolutely and again you start to look at the lineup beyond them you get back barnaby smith you get back noah shack there and again two veterans as well it felt like noah was really starting to hit his stride uh at the number five singles and four singles position towards the end of the season and so again you start to look at the lineup projections for your team this year and of course there are a couple of new faces as well that should definitely be mentioned you know you bring in uh i guess stefan stork still technically a freshman kenner taylor also a freshman you have on your team and then i believe it's rafael perot and i think pierce rollins again still technically counts as a freshman the eligibility years at this point the nomenclature a little bit unclear but just when you're looking at the back end of your lineup of your roster because i think it's safe to say and tell me if i'm wrong that habib aguilar and vashro probably start out in some form as the top three but how do you feel about your team's depth and how that depth can compete with because again expectations are probably national championship conference championships and so how do you think your depth competes with those other top teams in the country well i think it uh it competes very well against all the teams i mean it's it's really where i think a lot of these matches are going to be won uh um just because i feel like that uh, all these players down there are are very accomplished players and obviously getting to practice with our top three guys has really helped them a lot. You know, one of the things that I think that our guys, and it's been over the course of probably the last four or five years that we've made some adjustments, but we have such a physical team. Um, our uh, work really hard at and uh, I think they're really fit, and so that gains gives them a lot of confidence. And and then obviously uh, a bunch of blue, as you alluded to earlier, a bunch of blue collar type guys <laughs> want to work hard and get better in their game. And you know, one of the litmus tests, you know, for for us, and I know for all the other top teams. How many of your players really have aspirations to go on and play, you know, after their college career? Because that really helps to continue to keep them motivated that they're playing a lot in the summer, that they're playing in the break, that they're getting the extra hours a week of practice. Because obviously we all know that, you know, 20 hours is probably not enough to compete against the top players in the world that are out doing it full time. So you have to have that internal motivation to want to come out and work more and be better. 
And uh, we have that type of team. We have those types of players that want to do extra. And that's obviously all always encouraging. And so, uh, our, as I've said to our guys, they've got a fight on their hands to see if they're going to make our lineup. Because we're, uh, as you as you said, you know, 10 or so deep of talented players uh, that, that certainly warrant being in the lineup. Yeah, so you, and you talk about all these guys and, and one that Alex left out uh, and, you know, may or may not be in that consideration for singles in, in a transfer from Texas Tech is Bjorn Thompson. But he was, you know, along with Parker Wynn, one of the top double teams in the in the country for the past two seasons. So you bring him in and I, I've got to think that that at least, uh, you know, gives you a, a little boost potentially in the doubles, as well as obviously more questions now to figure out who he's who he's pairing up with and and what that doubles lineup looks like. Well, you're right. I mean, uh, he brings a tremendous amount of leadership um, and uh, we're really grateful to have him. You know, he was the SAC president for the for the Big 12, uh, a 4-0 student, and got into a master's program here at Texas A&M and, you know, just kind of was a Christmas present for us um, that he wanted to come here and complete his master's. And then with getting his year back, you know, it was a no-brainer for us to have him play on our team. And he's He's made an immediate impact. He's a tremendously hard worker, uh, obviously a very organized young man to be able to do all the things that he's having to do. Um, and so uh, he's certainly going to uh, make an impact for us in doubles and, and possibly in singles as well. We'll just have to see uh, how things go. Um, you know, he didn't get to play as much during the break as maybe some of these other guys did. Um, maybe thinking that he was his tennis career was over, but he certainly has picked it up here uh, since he's begun to practice in the fall. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to even be able to stay around during the winter break. And and so, there, you know, there's some real positives with having someone like him on our team. And obviously, you know, in college tennis, as you both know, if you win the doubles point, you're probably 80% chance of winning the match in most matches. And in order to, and to have someone like that to be able to plug in to a spot in the doubles will just uh, enhance our chances of, of winning that elusive doubles point and then giving us a better chance of obviously win the match. I'd be hard-pressed, I think, for too many teams to win, uh, you know, more than three singles matches against our lineup. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, again, it, there's a reason we're doing our crack rackets preseason polls, and I'm sure when the ITA poll, the USTA poll comes out, your team will be a top 10 team. And, you know, when you look again, uh, you guys were in the poll position, it looked like, after that early season win against Florida to win the conference last season. Is that where the goals start for your Texas A&M team this year, win the SEC conference, go from there? You know, we kind of have gone away from, uh, you know, hosting goals, uh, SEC championship, quarters of semis of the NCAA, and really gone for what I would really term process goals more of, you know, just each guy on the team trying to get 5% better. Um, I think it takes a bit of pressure off uh, these guys uh, when you – when you have when you have goals that are uh, things that they can work on in their game and their specific game, and obviously if everybody's better, then you know you put yourself in a position. I think as a team, 
would be better. And uh, we kind of went away from that a few years ago. And it, and I think uh, you kind of mentioned maybe 2017, 18, we've kind of begun to have some pretty good teams in a row. And I think part of that may be uh, part of the reason is because we have gone away from some of those goals that maybe we had in the past that we wanted to host on the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, or we wanted to be a top 10 team, or we wanted to do this, or we want to do that. And we've kind of focused in more on each individual player and uh, trying to get them a little bit better and, and let the chips kind of fall where they fall. Yeah, no, again, I think it's safe to say that uh, all of uh, we, your team is certainly capable of doing uh, so many different things and so many impressive things this season. And of course, uh, we hope all of them remain safe and healthy. And we uh, are all looking forward to seeing the Aggies back on court. But with that in mind, I want to have some fun with you down the home stretch here. And we'll have to save the whole breakdown of Coach Denton, you know, how a man from humble Texas roots goes on to being a top 10 player in both singles and doubles in his professional career. But some fun ones across the board here, uh, just to wrap up today's show. Let's start with your assistant, uh, volunteer assistant coach Shane Vincent. My question to you, you get the recruiting class of Shane Vincent and Harry Adams, but for those who followed it closely, and that was the class of 2012, I personally was in the high school class of 2013, so I remember it. That recruiting class was supposed to be Adams, Vincent, and Mitchell Kruger, and obviously Mitchell ended up turning pro. And so my question to you is, how could you let Shane, after he butchered that recruiting job, on as a volunteer assistant coach? Well, in actual fact, that class was originally going to be uh, Shane Vincent, uh, Josh Ward Hibbert, mm-hmm. and uh, Mitchell Kruger, uh, who played doubles uh, with, with uh, Liam Brody. And both he and Mitchell Kruger uh, turned pro. And so then uh, we ended up. Uh, getting Shane and, and Harrison Adams in that class. So it really wasn't uh, Shane's fault. So um, I, I think that, uh, you know, Shane has, first of all, uh, Shane Vincent is going to be a star uh, college tennis coach in the future. He already is. Uh, he comes from um, – David Anderson's program at Brookhaven, uh, Dave Licker's program uh, at, at the Lakes, who've both had great pro, uh, great players out of their programs and uh, and had a stellar career here, was an All-American in singles and in doubles. And he's just got a work ethic uh, that is second to none. Uh, we love having him here, and we really uh, are excited to continue to keep him here because he uh, is such a major asset to our program and brings this blue-collar, hardworking. Uh, and, and also, too, you know, I mean, it's no secret that I'm a little bit older. It's nice to have a younger guy like him uh, in there pushing really hard. Uh, it certainly makes a big difference uh, uh, with our program to have someone as talented and, and also knows what an Aggie is expected to do on a tennis court and uh, the expectations that we have. So we're, we're thrilled to have him. He's a, he's a tremendous asset for our program. Sounds like a kind way of saying you still hold a little bit of resentment. Just like, come on, you couldn't get Mitch for six months? Like, just six months? You know, he couldn't have kipsoned? Like, that would have been fine. Uh, we don't love to do that. 
uh, no doubt. We, you know, we still follow him, and he's an Aggie. I mean, uh, as far as we're concerned, uh, you know, his dad went here. His dad is the head referee for David Roditi at TCU, but uh, uh, I think Dave Roditi knows where his true alliance uh, <laughs> <laughs> Love to hear that. Well, then, you know, speaking of some of those guys and of late, uh, you know, uh, Arthur Rinderneck is now, I think, in the top 150 in singles. Jordi Arcanada, Patrick Kipson, obviously. You have Austin Krejcik, who have all gone on to have success on the pros as well. Uh, what does that mean to you and the program to see, you know, those players go on to be able to find success in the pro, uh, pro in their pro careers right after playing for a Well, that it's great uh, to continue to follow their development. You know, you throw Jackson Withrow in that mix mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and others and uh, junior or and so we've had some really good players that have come through here uh, I think over the course of our our career here Kevin O'Shea and Bob McKinley and Shane and I we've had I think 14 or 15 blue chippers uh, Americans coming through here plus the as you alluded to the international talent that we've that we've had and it's great to see those guys continue on and really what I what I think is the most important thing is these guys are lifers and tennis um and that's one of the things that as i guess is a test for us as coaches is do we continue to to keep that fire lit with our players uh not only while they're here uh, obviously it's lit when they get here but to be able to keep that fire lit where they are wanting to stay involved in tennis uh and we've got many of those guys that, that we just discussed are all involved and then obviously a bunch of them out there still having success and you know arthur had a great year last year he He'd won those two challengers, and then we got shut down. His momentum kind of got stopped a little bit, so it'll be interesting to see. Patrick has kind of had some injury, bad luck, and is now playing at a really high level, just needs a break because he certainly, uh, his ranking is not indicative to his level. I saw he won a match at that challenger uh, in Orlando last week and lost to Kudla yesterday. Um, and so there's no doubt he's going to make a big move, and, and Jordy's been really consistent and winning a lot of future and needs to take that next step to be able to have a little more success in the challenger level. So all those guys, it's great to see. And obviously Austin, you know, is is been as high as 25 or 30 in the world and uh, and doubles and and is kind of beginning to focus more on the doubles rather than the singles. I think, uh, you know, honestly for him, he overachieved a bit. He got in the top hundred in the world and, uh, and it was because of his hard work and his dedication, uh, that he was able to accomplish that. And, uh, I couldn't be more proud of him and all the things he's done. And he's, he's definitely a lifer in this sport as well. And, and then Jackson getting to play with Jack Sock and having success, you know, all those guys have, have really validated our program and why, why young tennis players and juniors uh, continue to want to come and play at Texas A&M. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm looking right now. I have the uh, match against uh, Wake Forest from the NCAA semifinals, just the score I had in front of me. I also have the Florida score for what it's worth. So I'm looking at both the good and the bad. And just you see Kipson, Rinderneck, Arcanada, Vashro, Aguilar. I mean, Aguilar at five singles just feels nuts, given what we've seen from him uh, these past couple of years. And, of course, to have players like that who have national championship experience or semifinal experience, 
experience, I guess even to go back to that moment, because I remember it and I do remember, you know, seeing that look on your face and there was a joy there. And it's just it's it's almost a primal feeling. Anyone who's played sports, you recognize that face of, oh, someone just accomplished something that they really wanted to achieve and just that sense of relief and, you know, joy. You could see it on all of your team's face. And so I guess, you know, looking back at that match and you've won Grand Slams before, you've played at the highest level, but winning that quarterfinal 4-3, playing that 4-3 match that comes down to a couple of three sets in the semifinals, uh, what did that moment mean to you and the program? And how do you think it might help Val and, uh, you know, Juan Carlos to have had those experiences heading into this season? Well, I mean, it was a great opportunity for our team. And I know uh, those are kind of bonds with that team that none of us will ever forget. Uh, we didn't win that match against Wake Forest. Uh, we were oh so close and in and, and quite a few of those moments in that match. And, you know, Wake was able to came, come through. Um, it it, uh, it was an exciting time for us. And obviously it has springboarded us to be one of the more prominent teams in college tennis. Uh, you know, prior to that, as well as since, and uh, and I know that those guys uh, do have confidence in being in that moment in that situation, and and it's another reason why they want another opportunity to come back here. And you know what a better way to to go out and to have a an experience like that again, which all of them are striving for, and all the hard work that they're doing right now, and hoping that that will pay off as we get you know to April and May of next year. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it was one of my favorite matches to be at. I look forward again to seeing uh, some of my favorite matches I've been at in person. The Florida match, uh, the Michigan match at the indoors in the last year. Obviously, different circumstances for you, but both equally enjoyable for me. Um, All right, let's get off the Texas A&M. Let's talk a little bit about your playing career as well. Here's my take for you. You comment whether it's accurate or not. In terms of the best American men all time on grass as a surface, I have Sampras 1. Denton too. Is that too high for you or is that about right? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just not sure what you're what you're having for breakfast or lunch or <laughs> whatever you are. But I, I'm I'm uh, I'm in agreement with the Sampras part of it. Um, uh, and of course, you're you're not maybe talking about some players that were pretty good before then. <laughs> Uh, as well, but I think you definitely have to put McEnroe uh, up there. Uh, certainly, as as one A. Uh, so, and there are many others. Uh, even uh, even guys like Tim Mayock. You know, he was a really good grass court player. You look at his record; he was very consistent at Wimbledon. But many other players. Uh, you know, Roscoe Tanner, obviously Stan Smith, and and others prior to that. Uh, and I'm sure I'm missing some some great players, but I would probably at this point still uh i would have to say uh uh, pete and john i've been the two two best certainly during the time that i've been you know around tennis and and both of them were extremely difficult to play and the grass is playing differently now you know the uh, i'll never forget i was in sweden recruiting one time and i turned on the tv and i watched uh, roddick play uh federer at Wimbledon one year and the ball was bouncing at the service line. I mean, at the, at, at the waist. 
and I was I was in shock. I mean, that grass court when we played, you you needed a shovel, you know, when you when you played. Uh, you were down low, and and the ball didn't come up, and that was the reason why everybody was taking the ball out of the air so much. Um, but uh, the grass has changed, and it's you know more of a surface that you can obviously stay back and be successful. And obviously, uh, Bjorn Borg had a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree with you. And I, I feel like if nowadays the U.S. Open in a span of what was it, like six years, went from clay to grass to hard court, that would be a huge story. And like it just kind of happened. And I don't know if – I mean, again, I, I wasn't there. But in the moment to play the U.S. Open on a grass court, to have the switching of surface, I think the Australian Open was even on a grass court as well. Uh, I mean – how different were, were those surfaces playing on grass week in, week out consistently uh, compared to how things are now? Well, I think the the grass at, uh, in England was certainly quicker uh, mm-hmm. and a lower bouncing grass. It was it was much more difficult to return and pass uh, than it is at, you know, today i know they've changed the type of grass i know they they cut across the grain to allow the ball to check up more that they've changed the balls themselves to to slow things down which you know i mean it makes for really good points and uh it just is kind of you you look at a grass court in the old days and you saw this big hole in the court going straight up to the service line and inside the service line because everybody was coming in and then you look at the grass court today toward the end of a tournament and you see all the baseline uh, all chewed up and then the front of the court looks still pristine, you know that the game has changed significantly. Uh, And uh, so I I think that that's one of the things, you know, with regard to the grass in Australia, when we played at Kuyong, you know, it bounced up, uh, you know, higher than the, the Wimbledon grass. I think it was one of the reasons I had a little more success there because I was able to return serve a little bit better on a higher bouncing grass court. Um, and obviously, because in the old days, the uh, slams were different in that the the uh, slams were, the Australian Open was at the end of the year in the fourth slam. And in my era, I was the beneficiary of, you know, Borg winning the French, Borg winning Wimbledon, somebody stopping him at the U.S. Open, and then those guys, the three or four top guys, not going to Australia. So for the couple of years I got to the finals of the Australian Open, you know, Borg didn't play, Connors didn't play, McEnroe didn't play. And so, you know, I got the opportunity to kind of slip through the draw a little bit without those top three guys being there. But then when they changed back to uh, having the Australian Open as the first slam of the year, then obviously everybody was showing up because they were wanting to win the grand slam potential. Yeah, I think you're being you're being too humble there, Coach. Uh, I anytime you make a slam final, that's pretty impressive. Doesn't matter who was or wasn't there. Well, you still have to beat some good players, but but it certainly doesn't hurt to have the three greatest players on the planet not showing up. So if I if I I told you that Fed, Nadal, and Djokovic were not going to play a tournament, you would feel a lot better about your chances uh, of of winning. Just just look at these young players and and see this how the slams have gone here as of recent, and to be able. That a couple of those guys are missing certainly opens the door, you know, for some other players to kind of slip through. 
what you're telling me is that you're the Dominic team of this scenario, because obviously we saw what he did at the U.S. Open with no Federer, with no Nadal, with Djokovic being defaulted. I like that comp for you, Coach. Uh, you were a, a mod, or an early day Dominic team. You were the prototype for the Dominic team we see now. We, we, if anybody knows our styles of play, we play <laughs> opposite. Uh, I will say this, the guy uh, has certainly earned it. I mean, I watched him play in the juniors uh, at Orange Bowl. I thought he was going to be a hell of a player. Um, and, and I saw his work ethic and just how hard he worked. And he's certainly someone that has earned the right, you know, to, to win a grand slam by the effort and and work ethic and the attitude that he has uh he's as as close to a nadal as we've got on as for young players on the tour and uh you know i'm hopeful that when the baton changes you know he'll have the opportunity to win a few more because i think he's a he's great our game yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, again, home stretch here of questions. And you talk about those 81-82 slams, not an asterisk, but certainly the context behind them. No person maybe has that held against them more than Johan Creek, who I've had the chance to meet and I am a huge fan of. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm sure you know Johan a little bit as well. Let's say it's the 1981 Australian Open reunion. For some reason, they hold the event. Oh, 40 years to the day. Everyone come on in. And Johan Creek walks into the room do you punch him in the face or do you give him a big hug no i give him a big hug i mean <laughs> I, uh, I actually uh, have a lot of respect for johan you know he's only cost me a couple million dollars in my career <laughs> <laughs> two finals and then we played each other in the first round of the masters one year when we at madison square garden and he beat me in three sets there so it's really interesting johan had uh, he had a fiery temper, and so sometimes, you know, he was uh, he was the type of player that, you know, if he got mad or whatever, that maybe uh, you could get through him. But for whatever reason, when he played me, I brought out the best in him, and uh, we played, I think, three times, maybe four times on the tour, and I never beat him. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of it had to do with my strength was my serve. And Johan grew up in South Africa, and he had a right arm the size of a tree trunk, and he was <laughs> fastest guys on tour during my day uh, and so that coupled with the fact that he nullified my serve with his with his really strong returning game and how fast he was around the court was just really not a an ideal matchup for me and yet against other players who I beat you know he would lose to so you know this sport's still a game of matchup and uh, I still gave him a hug because I think he's a hell of a guy. And and uh, he was certainly deserving of all the success that he had. Mm-hmm. No, one of the funnier guys I've gotten to meet throughout my exploits in tennis now, or at least very nice sense of humor, uh, I suppose, winning a couple of He's games. definitely a character. You, if you follow him on any of his uh, uh, Facebook or anything, he's, he's definitely a character, no doubt. Yeah, very, very funny. Well, then, last two questions for you. One serious, one uh, very, very just fun down the home stretch. Uh, let's start with the serious one. You got to play mixed doubles with Billie Jean King. What is that like? Well, and on and honestly, it was uh, a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, <laughs> she was trying to break Helen Wills Moody's record for the most Wimbledon titles, and 
you know, I, you know, she was not in uh, in the heyday of her career at that point, and obviously, you know, more pressure on me, and obviously didn't hold up my end of the bargain. We ended up losing a really close match to uh, Wendy Turnbull and John Lloyd in the finals that would have propelled her to be the only person to, I think, have either 20 or 21 uh, Wimbledon titles. I think Martina ended up tying her later on. Uh, but, you know, disappointing that I couldn't help her get over the finish line there. She's obviously meant so much for uh, professional tennis and done so much, you know, for women's tennis uh, specifically. Uh, and it was just, I feel badly that I wasn't able to help her achieve that uh, goal because she certainly deserved, as much as she's done for the game, uh, deserved to have that, uh, to have that title and, and, to herself only. And I think now she has to share it. Uh, I believe uh, if it hasn't been changed, I think she has to share that with Martina. Yeah. Look, I, I, I'm sure she in the long sales, she doesn't hold it against you, right? She's like, ah, no, it was a fun one. Seven, five in the third. Like that's about as good as it gets. Yeah. We had our chances. I think Uh, it's been a while since I've, you know, played catch in my mind, but, um, But, yeah, we, we had our chances and uh, just couldn't quite come through. And once again, on a grass court in those days, it was one or two points, and that was the difference. Uh, maybe missing a return at the wrong in, – inopportune time is the difference in winning and losing those kinds of matches. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Well, again, there are so many different things we could ask you. My final question for you on today's show, uh, you obviously had all this success in doubles. As you mentioned, your game style drastically different to some of the game styles we see now that being said is coach steve denton still a stickler for his players to serve in volley and doubles uh yeah i try to get them to do that however i am realistic <laughs> certain players that it just doesn't suit their their areas of strength uh but i i really highly encourage it i i kind of for a while was was pretty strict about it and and told the guys that if they didn't serve in volley, then they were probably going to be sitting over next to me taking pictures of everybody else that was playing. Uh, but, but I have changed that to a certain extent. And I'll tell you where it really kind of changed was uh, when Jordi Arcanada uh, and Carlos Aguilar ended up playing number one for us in that year in 2018. Uh, they didn't win the match at Wake Forest. Uh, in fact, I think they got blanked in that doubles match. But overall, that really good. And, uh, you know, Jordy was just not a natural volleyer. Uh, Carlos, not a big serve. And so therefore, uh, it kind of made sense for them to play a little bit more for the back of the court. Uh, but I certainly still think it's the best way to play doubles. Um, the problem is, is that a lot of these junior players come to us with no experience whatsoever of one playing much doubles and two serving and volleying. So they're completely comfortable and to teach them how to do it just takes time. And some of them, you know, don't uh, have the confidence to do it. Certainly when we're playing no ad scoring and, you know, it comes down to one point. So you end up kind of acquiescing a little bit and letting them play to their strengths. 
Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, I, I grew up with a coach who was a stickler. He, you know, you're running the lap if you're not. It was always no bounce doubles in practice, right? It's like the only thing that can bounce is the serve. And then from there, uh, you know, work on your skills. And he kept forcing us and forcing us in. And at one point, he would even bait us with, you know, your teammates are serving and balling. You guys could try it if you want. And it's like, you know, I'll swear for the first time since you haven't. It was like, fuck you, Ed. Uh, you know, I don't need to hear that right now. We're struggling. But of course, uh, it is always uh for me i'm a stickler for it i always appreciate it i would point out my wolverines do it a bunch uh, and they have had some success in doubles and they're always fun to root for but of course uh nevertheless it is always a pleasure to get to watch a texas a&m team because you know they're going to fight you know they're going to leave it all out on the court and you know they're going to be well coached of course with steve denton at the range so of course coach thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us i have like 20 more questions in the queue i'll have to save for next time but that way it can hopefully guarantee that we have a next time but good luck to you uh, and your team this season hope you all stay safe and healthy and we look forward to chatting with you again soon well thanks guys i appreciate your time and i want to wish you guys a happy thanksgiving and to those that are listening in you know be of good cheer uh, we're going to get over this and we're going to get back to uh, playing tennis, the sport we love. And we're really excited about that opportunity when it presents itself. I absolutely appreciate that. Can I get a go Aggies from you before we go? How about Giga Maggies? Giga Maggies, even better. Win from Texas, speak like the Texans do. Giga Maggies, we go. Coach Denton, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thank you, guys. If you enjoyed our conversation with Texas A&M head coach Steve Denton, it was really, really fun getting the chance to chat with Coach. And as I mentioned at the beginning and throughout the podcast, I feel like I've still got probably three more hours. That's a conservative estimate, three more hours of questions I could ask Coach Denton about what it's like. Again, early 80s ATP tour, you know, the tours are merged or the tours are merging. Excuse me. There's still uh, some labor disputes. Just it's a it's a tour in flux, certainly. And it's a tour that's becoming more and more international, even more so than it is now. And so I want to ask him at some point, I'll have to ask about that time, about what 1978 college tennis looked like when he was an All-American at Texas, that and so much more. So again, a huge thank you to Coach Denton for giving us his time uh, to talk about his Aggies and this upcoming season. But for all of you listeners out there who are like, hey, I still have a a few more questions in the queue, Alex, so you must as well. The answer to your question is an unequivocal yes. I do have a few questions left in the queue and so we will do our best to get coach Denton on again uh, in the near future but again a huge thank you to him and if you want to hear more about his Aggies heading into this 2021 season go check out the conversation Matt Koyak, Chris Halliorce and I have on our Great Shot podcast feed be sure to go read more about where these Aggies are heading into 2021 on our website crackedrackets.com as well as Matt Koyak did a deep dive of both this team and all of the teams we've discussed 
discussed so far in our College Contender Series. That means number 11, Georgia, number 10, Michigan, number 9, Florida, number 8, Stanford, now number 7, TCU in the books. It's really exciting because it means we are getting closer to our top five, but also means we're inching closer and closer to the start of the of the college. I almost said professional. I suppose we are inching, emphasis, maybe centimeter by centimeter in that case, but we are actually inch by inch moving closer to the start of the 2021 college tennis season, something I know all of us tennis fans can get excited about. So, of course, if you have missed any of our college contender series, be sure to go check out the website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates on both college tennis and everything else that's going on in the professional tennis world. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fleener and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out of course again to our friends at midwest sports and aerobar go to midwestsports.com use the promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com use the promo code crack 15 and again be on the lookout as we make the shift here for off season into off season mode at crack rackets ton of content across our multiple spectrums like rate subscribe review to this podcast uh the great shot podcast the inside out podcast and of course the mini break podcast But with that in mind, for our wonderful guest, Texas A&M head coach Steve Denton, my fantastic co-host sometimes. Other times he's less fantastic, but in this instance, I will brand him as fantastic Chris Hallioris. Our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll speak with you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.